Welcome, this is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode 295 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Space 1970. Osumi from Japan and Uhuru from the United States. In this episode, we will cover two more significant unmanned space flights that began in 1970. We will begin with the first Japanese satellite. Osumi is the name of the first Japanese satellite placed into orbit. It was named after the Osumi province in the southern islands of Japan. Interestingly enough, Osumi was actually a series of five small satellites built to become the first Japanese satellite in orbit. I will explain that a little later, but first I want to describe the Osumi satellite. The satellite was a small observatory carrying five experiments designed to make ionospheric observations of temperature, density, measurement of solar emission, and measurement of energetic particles. The satellite was built by the Japanese Institute of Space and Astronautical Science. The satellite consisted of a small instrument package attached to the fourth stage of the L-4S launch vehicle. Essentially, Osumi was a 48-centimeter diameter spherical rocket engine with an instrumentation package on top. To me, the physical appearance of the satellite resembled a very large bowling ball with a cylindrical instrument compartment on top and a small rocket bell on the bottom. The satellite was equipped with two hook antennas and four beryllium copper whip-type antennas. The instrumentation compartment included a telemetry transmitter, a beacon transmitter, a pilot transmitter, a precision accelerometer, and a strain gauge type thermometer. The satellite was powered by a silver oxide zinc battery with a capacity of only 5 amp hours. Asumi's mass was 24 kilograms, including the burnt out 4 stage motor. Of course, to place the satellite into Earth orbit, a carrier rocket was required. The carrier rocket for the Osumi satellites was the Lambda 4S or L4S. It was an experimental Japanese expendable carrier rocket produced by Nissan and the Institute of Space and Astronautical Science. The Lambda 4S was 16.5 meters tall with a diameter of 74 centimeters. It weighed 
9,400 kilograms and consisted of four solid fuel stages with two booster rockets augmenting the first stage. The SB-310 rockets were used as boosters with the L-735 first stage. The second stage was a reduced length derivative of the L-735, while the third stage was an L-500, and the fourth stage was an L-480S. The Lambda 4S was capable of placing 26 kilograms of payload into low Earth orbit. That was just enough for the 24 kilogram Osumi. It was launched from the Kagoshima Space Center. The first Osumi satellite was launched on September 26, 1966. It failed to reach orbit when the carrier rocket's fourth stage attitude control failed. The second launch attempt was made on December 20, 1966, but it failed, and this time it was the carrier rocket's fourth stage that failed to ignite. The third Asumi satellite was launched on April 13, 1967, but it also failed to reach orbit because the fourth stage failed to ignite again. After three launch failures, a special Lambda-4T suborbital vehicle was launched to iron out the launch vehicle's problems. Sadly, the Japanese did not fix all the problems with the carrier vehicle. On September 22, 1969, the fourth launch attempt ended in failure again. This time, the carrier rocket's four-stage control system malfunctioned after the third stage collided with the fourth stage. Finally, the fifth Osumi was successfully launched on February 11, 1970 from Kagoshima, Japan. The satellite was supposed to enter a 500-kilometer circular orbit, but instead an elliptical orbit was achieved with a perigee of 350 kilometers and an apogee of 5,140 kilometers with a period of 144 minutes. About two and a half hours after the launch, a radio signal from Osumi was received at Uchinora to confirm its first revolution around the Earth. The radio signal level gradually fell, and the next day, February 12th, during its sixth revolution, the signal became very faint. The signal could no longer be detected during the seventh revolution. It is believed that the signal of Osumi was lost 14 to 15 hours after launch, probably caused by rapid reduction of power capacity due to higher than expected temperatures. The satellite continued to orbit Earth, and on August 2, 2003, it re-entered the atmosphere over North Africa and burned up. With the success of the fifth Osumi satellite, Japan became the fourth nation after the Soviet Union, United States, and France to independently place an artificial satellite into successful Earth orbit using its own rocket. The United States also placed a significant satellite into orbit during 1970. It was called Uhuru 
and it was the first satellite launched specifically for the purpose of X-ray astronomy and the first American satellite to be launched by another country by a team of Italian space engineers operating from a mobile launch platform located in the Indian Ocean. The satellite's name Uhuru came from the Swahili word for freedom. It was named in recognition of the hospitality of Kenya from where it was launched. Uhuru was the first of three spacecraft approved for flight under the Small Astronomy Satellite, or SAS, program conducted by the NASA Office of Space Science and Applications. Therefore, Uhuru was also known as SAS-A. It was the 42nd satellite of the Explorer series. It was the first satellite equipped with sensitive instruments to detect high-energy X-ray sources in space. Now I want to spend a little time on X-ray astronomy. The window of visible light through which a person has always looked into space shows only a small part of the events occurring outside of Earth's atmosphere. Even the visual images we see from Earth are distorted and clouded by turbulence and scattering of light in the atmosphere. A new world of phenomena came into view when a second window was opened to the universe with the discovery that radio signals from space could be detected on Earth. As mankind learned how to surmount the atmospheric veil with space vehicles such as balloons, sounding rockets, and satellites, the universe began coming into view on all frequencies of the energy spectrum. High-energy astronomy is concerned with the most energetic forms of radiation, X-rays, gamma rays, and cosmic particles. The observable energy range extends from soft X-rays, about 250 electron volts, to the highest energy cosmic rays, almost 100 million billion electron volts. In contrast, all of the visible light covers a range of about 2 electron volts. A Geiger counter rocketed into space aboard a sounding rocket in 1962 by American science and engineering astronomers surprised the world by revealing the existence of several X-ray sources within the Milky Way galaxy. This event was the birth of X-ray astronomy. The advent of the X-ray Explorer satellite, Uhuru, made it possible for man to take a giant step in astronomy. Its systematic detection of X-ray sources, some 30 times weaker than the weakest known source, revealed a heaven full of X-ray stars. In this respect, the satellite was compared to the development of the first large optical telescope which disclosed billions of visible stars in the heavens not yet seen by the naked eye. Quick reaction correlation of X-ray sources with optical and radio sources provided astronomers new insight about the physical structure and energy balance of the objects in the universe 
as well as the major energy transfers occurring in the universe. Since x-rays are very penetrating, they may provide a means of studying regions near the center of our galaxy that are not accessible in other ways. X-ray astronomy offered scientists the opportunity to study some of the most dynamic aspects of stellar objects. Most astrophysicists believe we may be observing the climax of the stellar evolution process. Whereas optical astronomy told the scientists about a star's thermal processes, the events that just boil along, high-energy astronomy, including X-rays, reveals the non-thermal events. These are the truly disruptive processes that represent major changes in the way energy is distributed. Management of the SAS program was directed by the Goddard Space Flight Center, Greenbelt, Maryland. The X-ray experiment was designed and developed by the American Science and Engineering Company, Incorporated at Cambridge, which was also the principal experimenter for the Uhuru mission. The primary objective for Uhuru was to develop a catalog of celestial X-ray sources by systematically scanning of the celestial sphere in the energy range of 2,000 to 20,000 electron volts. Operating above the Earth's energy-obscuring atmosphere, the satellite was to search for X-ray sources both within and outside the Milky Way galaxy. Now, I will attempt to describe the physical attributes of the Uhuru satellite using words instead of pictures. Uhuru's control section consisted of an aluminum shell which housed all the systems necessary for attitude control, data storage, power storage, and communications. The 64-kilogram experiment was supported on the upper end of the 79 kilogram control section. The lightweight cylindrical shell of the control section measured about 61 centimeters in diameter by 61 centimeters long. Four solar panels hinged to the outer rim of this shell. They provided an average of 27 watts of raw power to the spacecraft and experiment day and night. Folded against the spacecraft during launch, these panels extended perpendicular to the control section in orbit where they measured about 3.9 meters tip to tip. Two command antennas and a single telemetry antenna were mounted to the ends of three of the solar panels. In orbit, the spacecraft rotated at the rate of five revolutions per hour causing the experiment window to sweep across the sky in search of X-ray sources. Stabilization of the spacecraft at this slow rotation was provided by an internal wheel that spun like a gyroscope. An electromagnetic system helped control the spin rate, and a nutation damper provided further stabilization. The most unique feature of the spacecraft was its attitude control system, which also contained an electromagnet. When energized, this device acted like a compass needle and attempted to align the spacecraft with the Earth's magnetic field. 
Thus, the spacecraft could be pointed to any direction in the sky by ground control. The X-ray astronomy instrument was an advanced version of an experiment previously flown on sounding rockets and was also designed for use on manned spacecraft. This 64-kilogram experiment package was divided into two essentially identical halves, each independent of the other. Beyond the redundancy provided by the two similar halves, each experiment side contained redundant elements. Each experiment half basically consisted of an X-ray detector, a mechanical collimator, which defined the viewing direction of the detector, and the necessary processing electronics. For high resolution, the collimator on one side of the experiment provided a narrow 1 by 10 degree field of view. For high sensitivity, the other side's collimator provided a wide 10 by 10 degree field of view. Both sides of the experiment scanned the same path in the celestial sphere. The location of detected X-ray sources with respect to the celestial sphere was then determined with the aid of star and sun sensors aligned with the experiment collimators. The carrier rocket for Uhuru was a Scout B, which was a four-stage solid propellant launch vehicle. The Scout family was NASA's only solid propellant launch vehicle with orbital capacity. The first Scout rocket was launched July 1, 1960. The Uhuru mission was the 72nd Scout launch. The Scout B configuration of the Scout rocket family had four stages. The first stage was called Algol. It was derived from a Polaris missile. It was 9 meters long with a diameter of 1 meter. Its mass was 11,600 kilograms with a vacuum thrust capacity of 564 kilonewtons. The second stage was called Castor. It was derived from the Sargent missile. It was 6 meters long with a diameter of 79 centimeters. Its mass was 1,400 kilograms with a vacuum thrust capability of 259 kilonewtons. The third stage was called Antares. The third and fourth stage motors were designed by Langley engineers who adapted a version of the Navy Vanguard. The third stage was 3 meters long with a diameter of 78 centimeters. It also had a mass of 1,400 kilograms with a vacuum thrust capacity of 93 kilonewtons. The fourth stage was called Altar. It was 2.5 meters long with a diameter of 64 centimeters. Its mass was 275 kilograms with a vacuum thrust capacity of 22 kilonewtons. The completed Scout launch vehicle was approximately 22.25 meters long with a mass of 17,144 kilograms at liftoff. The stages were interlocked with transition sections that contained guidance, control, ignition, and instrumentation systems, separation mechanics, and the spin motors needed to stabilize the fourth stage. Control of the Scout was achieved by aerodynamic surfaces, jet vanes, and hydrogen peroxide jets. The Scout program was managed by NASA's Langley Research Center in Hampton, Virginia. 
The launch vehicle was built by LTV Aerospace Corp. in Dallas. Another interesting part of the Uhuru mission was where and by whom it was launched. In February of 1969, a contract for the launch of small astronomy satellites was signed by the United States and Italy, calling for the use of Italy's San Marco launch platform off the east coast of Kenya for launch of U.S. satellites. Under the terms of the contract signed by NASA and the University of Rome, NASA would provide the carrier rocket and the satellite. The university's Aerospace Research Center was responsible for assembly, checkout of the launch vehicle, and launch of the satellite. The Italian launch team was trained by NASA at its Wallops Station, Virginia range, where they successfully launched the San Marco 1 satellite in 1964. The San Marco launch platform was a modified oil drilling platform built by the Italian firm Nuovo Pignone. It was owned and operated by the Italian government. It was stationed in Formosa Bay, 4.8 kilometers off the coast of Kenya, about two and one-half degrees south of the equator. A smaller platform, the Santa Rita, located 457 meters from San Marco, contained the Control and Operations Center, range equipment, and test rooms. There were 23 cables linking the San Marco launch complex with its sister platform. The platform was first used for the successful launch on April 26, 1967 of the Italian scientific satellite San Marco 2 in a cooperative international project in which NASA provided the Scout launch vehicle. Flight control of the launch platform was in the base camp of the San Marco launch site on Formosa Bay, Kenya. Located on the coast within sight of the offshore launch platform, this camp was linked by voice and teletype communications to the control center at the Goddard Space Flight Center over the worldwide NASA communications system. All commands for Uhuru, once it was in orbit, originated at the Goddard Control Center, the primary ground station for generating commands to the spacecraft, as well as tracking and acquiring data from it, was at the Quito Equator Station of NASA's Worldwide Space Tracking and Data Acquisition Network. The United States' use of Italy's San Marco platform enabled NASA to place the X-ray Explorer into an equatorial orbit with a small scout rocket rather than the larger launch vehicles required for achieving the same orbit from Cape Kennedy. An equatorial orbit was selected for this satellite to bypass the South Atlantic area where the Earth's radiation belts dip close to the surface. This radiation could have degraded the spacecraft's electronic systems and the X-ray experiment. On December 12, 1970, the Uhuru X-ray Observatory satellite was launched from the San Marco platform into an initial orbit of about 560 kilometers apogee and 520 kilometers perigee. 3 degrees inclination with a period of 96 minutes. 
Orbiting above the Earth's atmosphere, opaque to X-rays and most other energy from space, the satellite scan the skies systematically for X-ray sources in the energy range of 2,000 to 20,000 electron volts. Visible starlight covers a range of about 2 electron volts. In addition to pinpointing their location, the satellite radioed data on the intensity, spectral distribution, and time variation of the detected X-ray sources. Uhuru discovered and studied in detail the pulsing accretion-powered binary X-ray sources of Centaurus X3, Vela X1, and Hercules X1. And it identified Cygnus X1, the first strong candidate for an astrophysical black hole. And Uhuru discovered many other extragalactic X-ray sources. The satellite also mapped a diffuse X-ray background that covered the entire sky almost uniformly. Information on the distribution and energy spectrum of the X-ray background was invaluable in determining its origin. The long observing time of the satellite compared to a few minutes for the typical sounding rocket experiment permitted the observation of X-ray sources from about 30 times fainter than those observed thus far. Uhuru offered astronomers the unique opportunity to coordinate X-ray research with other areas of astronomy. When correlated with radio and optical astronomy findings, this information gave astronomers a new dimension for understanding the mysteries of the high-energy phenomena of our galaxy and those which govern the principal physical processes of the universe. In March 1973, contact was lost with Uhuru, and it burned up in the atmosphere on April 5th, 1979. Salutations from Columbus, Texas. This is Michael Annis, your host, and I wanted to say thanks for listening to episode number 295 of the Space Rocket History Podcast entitled Space 1970, Osumi and Uhuru. Hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a pleasure to bring it to you. First of all, I want to offer sincere apologies for mispronunciation of the Japanese names in this episode. If you're looking for old episodes of the podcast, the first 121 episodes are available on the archive. Search for Space Rocket History Archive. It should be available on all podcatchers. Want to credit my sources for this episode? Gunter's Space Page, the Japanese Institute of Space and Astronautical Science, Wikipedia, NASA Press Release 70-203, and NASA Space Science Data Coordinated Archive. Had a few afterthoughts on this week's episode. I know I'm running a little long, so I'll try to hurry through this. First of all, I want to inform everybody that next week we will have an encore episode because I've got a lot going on out here, and I just will not be able to get it done. 
So we will have an encore episode next week, and it will be it will be the first encore episode that I will use this year honoring the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing. I'm going to post several of these as the year goes by, and we'll have uh, several right up leading to the date of the landing. So I look forward to doing that. The next new episode will be the week after next, and it will be covering the final unmanned significant space flights of 1970. Then the following week, we will begin what many of you have been waiting for, the Apollo 14 mission. The musical intro to this episode was the Japanese national anthem to honor the Osumi satellite which was their first satellite, which was, is always significant for a nation. But for the greater understanding of mankind, I feel like that Uhuru satellite was really scientifically significant in the study of X-ray emissions. That was a big one that is not very often heard of, so I hope you enjoyed that one. Okay, my time is running out. For those of you who are enjoying the content provided here and have not donated yet in 2019, please consider supporting the podcast if you are financially able. You may have noticed that we don't have any commercials or ad revenue. This is because we are entirely listener-supported. To support the podcast, go to the homepage, spacerockethistory.com, click on the orange Donate button to make a one-time donation or the Patreon link to make small monthly donations. All donors are rewarded with their name on the donor's page at the level they choose to donate, as well as they are entered into the weekly prize drawing. This week, we were pleased to receive six new donations to support the podcast. Peter C. from the UK donated at the Apollo level and earned his moon emoji. Tacneil from Germany donated at the Soyuz level and earned his rocket emoji. Axel H. from Denmark donated at the Mercury level. Russell J. from Georgia donated at the Mercury level and earned his rocket emoji. Cameron B. from Australia donated at the Mercury level and earned his satellite emoji. Jonathan S. from Sweden donated at the Mercury level. And Thomas D. donated at the Mercury level. Our Patreon donors are still at 217. That is one less than where we were in December we're trying to reach a goal of 300 before the end of 2019. Our overall donors have reached 295 with a goal of reaching 600 in 2019. For the 295 of you who have already donated for 2019, I certainly appreciate it. This week we're giving away the SRH logo magnet to one of our lucky donors. Mrs. SRH randomly selected Jacob Wessler. Jacob Wessler, if you would email me, mike at spacerockethistory.com, and tell me your address, I will mail this out to you. Okay, folks, that's all I have for this week. Of course, we'll have the Encore episode next week, and then episode 296. T-5 until episode 300. So long for now.